What's up, good people? It's the AOS Podcast. We are back, episode three for the founders. You already know what that means. Uh, we back in the building. <laughs> so first, I just want to you know quick give a quick shout out to uh, Unc, who couldn't be with us tonight. So if y'all was with us for the episode number one, y'all remember uh, Mr. McGuire is running host and producer, and those things didn't work out well. So tonight, I'm a run point. My Westbrook thing tonight, throwing alleys. And uh, dropping dimes, and uh, Mr. McGuire is gonna do the production and the producing in the background. But shout out to the Eight Black Hands. Make sure you check in on Sundays, 9 p.m. 8 Central Time for the Eight Black Hands podcast. Uh, fellas, let's just basically we'll just do a run around us, uh, with each one of us, kind of what you've been doing this summer, you know, what's what you've been up to. So, uh, whoever want to take that first. Well, well, well. I'll, I'll take it. Um, you know, it's been a it's it's been a long but short summer, if you will. Uh, it's been a summer of learning and reflecting, uh, just again, you know, being in this COVID time, sheltering in place out here in Cali, uh, with the family, um, and really just kind of being plugged into work most of the summer as well, because just all the different variables about what school's going to look like. And I know we're going to get into that, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, one of the things that I did to rejuvenate was a lot of the discussions around uh, the, the social unrest in our country. Um, you know, I think so, so many people discovered that racism still exists, uh, exists. And so, um, you know, a lot of my friends uh, reached out to me, uh, asked me to, to join them in conversations uh, about race. And I read a, uh, read a bunch of books and led a, a bunch of book studies. And um, it was just, uh, it was energizing to see people engaged and uh, you know, ready to make moves, but we'll get into that later. But I'm good overall. I'm good. The family's good, so I, I have no complaints. It was a good summer. Okay. DMG, what's up with you, man? What's up, man? Listen, I've been applying pressure all summer, <laughs> and I've been taking shots at whoever wanted. <laughs> no, but it's, it's been good. I think you know this was. I tell you what. So I'm gonna start my summer back in March, man. Like when school kind of shut down and mm -hmm. we had to go home and go remote. I got some quality time with my daughter, which was good. And so I was able to keep her a little more and kind of because she's one. So I was able to get that bonding time and it provided me some balance. So I, I've been working hard, but I've been kicking it too, meaning like chilling and, and finding that time to rest. And I know we're going to talk about it when we get into uh, the conference, but man, I've been taking care of myself. Uh, and then, you know, jumping on these shows, we got the AOS kicking off. I got the recess and, you know, now back in that mode of school, but I'm applying pressure, man. That's, that's that's my that's my theme for the rest of the year, man. But I'm excited for episode three. We got some heat tonight, so it's gonna be good. That's what's up. That's what's up. Uh, man, my, my summer, man, is it really been all about the grind mode. Like I, I've been grinding all summer. Uh, like I said, we we started back in May doing the show with Unk, and then kind of things just took off from there. Uh, June, we did our first episode of the AOS podcast. Um, also in June, um, I had the, the opportunity to collaborate with some brothers. Um, first starting out with uh, Dr. Fields and Dr. Diggs out of St. Louis, um, a principal and assistant superintendent down there. And then from there, I had a chance to uh, link up with two brothers here. One of my frat brothers, Dr. Keith Jones, who's the principal at Platte County High School. And then Dr. Jarius Jones, who's the principal at Center, which is our neighboring district. And uh, we co-founded the uh, Black Male Educators of Greater Kansas City. And uh, we had a little networking event back in June, brought out about 25, 30 black male educators. Um, a lot of them working in district where they are the only black male in that district and really doing some, you know, some networking and things like that. And then from there, um, had an amazing opportunity um, that's been trying to promote for the last month or so um, with this uh, project that I was a part of. And actually the audio version of it, uh, of my part got uh, popped out today. Uh, it, it dropped today on social media. Um, but we did a, uh, this, uh, the, this book. So if, uh, my producer can go ahead and share that, pop that uh, stream up. But uh, we did this book called Voices by, by BMESTL St. Louis. Basically, me and 12 other brothers collaborated and told our story about education and what it took for us to get where we are today. Um, you can go get it on Amazon. Last time I checked, it was the number one new release by Amazon underneath education policy and reform. So uh, it, it's, it's doing well. It's doing well. So that's that was kind of like the highlight of my summer to be a part of this project and, you know, to be a published author now doing big things on Amazon. Um, and we got a lot of, you know, good feedback about it. So I'm super geeked about that project. And then, you know, besides that, just, you know, the work, the normal work we've been doing, grinding. Uh, I tell everybody now, you know, technically this year, 
I was a uh, pseudo 12 month administrator. I'm only a, a 11 month, you know, there's no time off this summer. So yeah. then as y'all know, you know, last Thursday, you know, we had an amazing, amazing opportunity uh, to be a part of a um, the National Charter School Conference, uh, which was an amazing opportunity. Shout out to Naomi Delton, you know, uh, getting us the plug on that. Make sure you follow Naomi on Twitter, Naomi Shelton DC. Uh, so basically, what we want to do real quick to kind of start this show out, we'll probably spend a good part of the show, but we want to kind of do a remix of what we talked about during that time. I and mean, we can't reduplicate the entire breakout session, but we do want to hit on some key things. And uh, we basically talked about three things at the show or at the workshop building trust, managing things, and student and staff uh, wellness during you know this time of crisis. So I'm going to kick it off with you, Ball. Uh, you know, just kind of, you know, the people that you kind of hit upon when we talked about building trust at the conference. I think one of the biggest things when it comes to building trust is uh, visibility mm. by leadership. I think that's one thing that when I was still in the classroom, I was, I don't think I saw my admin outside the admin building until those, those two times they had to come and uh, <laughs> observe my class. I mean, yeah. and that, I mean, we laugh at that, but as a brand new teacher, Ooh. You know, you obviously you relying on your colleagues around you in your department, mm -hmm. but if your admin is not there, like, what's going on? What's really going on? And so that was one of the biggest lessons that I learned as a young teacher. That um, you know, I needed that admin support, and so I wanted to be the complete opposite uh, when I became a building administrator. And uh, you know, that's that's what I've been doing, and you know, just just checking in and just letting no teachers know that you know I'm here for them. I, I want to hear what they have to say, um, and, the, and the same goes with families. Um, you know, being out there at drop off in the mornings, pick up in the afternoon, offering yourself up to uh, have a, a parent parents come in, go out to the community. I think one of the one of the cool things about um, my situation is I, I live in my uh, in my feeder pattern community. So uh, all all my students, not, a lot of them go to school with my kids and, you know, are, live in my neighborhood. And so they know who Mr. Ball is. They know where I live. Um, but, you know, they see me in the community. So they know that uh, that I'm invested. So um, that that piece of being visible and being connected uh, goes a long way to building trust. Man, I think visibility, I, that that's huge. I think even for me, when I think about I don't I don't live too, I don't live in a community where my school is, but I'm not too far away. Like I'm probably on the right on the corner, I guess, where the school is. But I go grocery shopping in here. I get my dry cleaners. Right. I'm always over here. I'm always at the school. So it's like I always tell myself I get I got adopted by the neighborhood. Right. But I, I want to be visible because, like you said, I see my kids everywhere at the park, at the grocery store. They see me. I see their parents. I see their folks. And that that's just key, because oftentimes, like you said, when I was growing up, my principal didn't live nowhere near the school I went to, right? Never saw him except for at school. And so visibility is key. But for me, I talked about this idea like trusting yourself, uh, trusting others and trusting every day. And I just think it's important because, you know, we want people to trust us as leaders, but we, we're internally doubting ourselves, right? And so how can I say, yeah, follow me, run through a brick wall with me or for me, and I don't even trust myself. So trust is a big thing uh, for me. And then trusting the people you work with, right? And it obviously trust takes time. So you gotta definitely make sure you uh give them a test run to make sure that they can they can follow through. But once they earn that trust from you, know, you gotta let people ride. And then trust is built every day. So those yeah. three areas of trust for me uh was was kind of what I what I hit on. Yeah, and for me, kind of the you know, the, the highlight of my, my whole piece on trust was really around uh having that clear vision that we can relate to and i kind of kicked it off with talking about you know three key things for me relationships 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 like everything goes back to that relationships and what is the relationship are you building with your students with your staff with your community staff staff everybody in the best to be brought into that relationship piece and then what is that clear vision that you have as the leader that you're going to take somebody somewhere and kind of you know what i um liken it to is if someone says hey you know, come ride with me, and you like, well, where are we going? You kind of had to get in the car with them, but yeah, they be like, hey, we're gonna go here, we're gonna go here. You know, they give you those details, then you know they gonna things happen. So the one thing that I kind of you know highlighted on and talked about uh, in my um, presentation was my my priority poster that I have that I worked on with my entire building that first year when I came in last year over the summer that got together with my uh, my staff and built upon, and um, was really like 
I kind of knew exactly what I wanted to talk about. I kind of knew how everything worked together with those different pieces. Um, but what the thing was, was actually listening to Howard University with, you know, Dr. Charles Cole. And he talked about those tactics and those uh, objectives and things like that. That gave me a better vocabulary to really talk about my priority poster and really talk about what are those strategies that I'm using? What are those tactics? What are those overarching goals? So it gave me a better vernacular to use in selling it. Um, and that was like the thing that I got a lot of, real, you know, got a lot of um, interest in from the you know, people that participated or that was a part of the workshop emails that I got asking me to share and kind of talk about the process I went through to develop it. Um, but it really just lays out the vision of kind of what it is that I would like to see at my school over the next three to five years. You know, um, we have our goals down the, down the side that's in the uh, scrolls. The top box of each color is pretty much our objective. And then we have the measurable for those for that objective. And then those bullet points are the tactics we're using on a day to day basis to make that happen. And everything that we do in our building from um, PD, POC work, uh, parent communication, everything has to relate back or connect back to our priority poster in some kind of way. Um, and really, like I said, our goals and our uh, objectives haven't changed. And uh, we've tweaked some of those uh, tactics that we're using as we are moving forward. But like I said, that was kind of the thing, that vision. And I think that's what gave me the best buy-in. And my first year as principal here at GMS was I came in with a clear vision. I used staff to kind of create that vision and everybody kind of was ready to roll. So uh, that was kind of my piece for building trust. And then we jumped into after building trust, managing teams. So, uh, Dad, you want to talk about kind of your managing teams piece of what you talked about? Yeah. So, um, I like it to like being being a coach, right? Like principal, like you, you being that coach, and you know, some years you get you know the 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 ninety six Bulls where you got a bunch of superstars. Sometimes you get, let me see what the two thousand and nineteen Kings where you ain't got that many superstars, right? But you not against Sacramento. Why, I just why you gotta pick on Sack. I couldn't think of nothing else, man. But you know, for the juggler. Listen, I couldn't think of nothing else. But my I had an old mentor that taught me the four R's, right? So rituals, relationship, resilience, um, and response, right? And so she man, she beat these four R's into us so much. But I think about last year and this year, how important it was when I was leading a team, like focusing on those four R's, the ritual piece, right? What you do consistently and how you build that culture response, right? So when adversity comes, how do you respond as a school? And, and how do I respond as a leader to them? Resiliency, right? So when you pick yourself up, right? You fall on your backs. Cause if you look up, you can get up, right? And so being resilient. And then uh, doc, you said the best man, relationships, man. Like you can't have a team without relationships, right? And I'm not saying you gotta be best friends outside of the school, but in this school, we need to be best friends. And so I, I tell them all the time, man, those response, rituals, resilience, and relationships, those four R's is how I manage the team at, at Summit. Yeah, so uh, from, my, from my perspective, uh, two things that I wanted to hit on um, specifically were communication and that consistent communication, very similar to that visibility piece. If your people know when you're going to communicate with them, and what format you're going to use that provides a sense of um, of security for them because they know when to expect uh, what whatever it is is coming down. Like I know, you know, I know Demetrius is going to send the, his his message on Mondays and Fridays, and I'm looking for it. I know that's where I can go to, and I know where I can find all that information. So I think that co consistent communication is really key. And uh, I also think that um, besides that. Uh, clear communication and consistent communication is knowing uh, and uh, the limitations and capabilities of your folks. And again, that goes back to that relationship piece, you know, and the visibility piece. If you're not out in the classrooms, if you're not, um, you know, out during lunch, out during passing period, um, stepping in and just kind of observing what's going on, you're not going to know necessarily uh, firsthand what folks strengths and rec and, uh, limitations are you're going to get that secondhand information because you know folks are going to come come down to the office and say this person's not not working well with the team and all those types of things but you got to see firsthand so getting out there and understanding what those uh, limitations and capabilities are are going to help you build 
um, a strong team. And I think, you know, right now I'm in the mix finishing up our, our master schedule and understanding, yeah, you know, this person is, is ready for a little bit more responsibility. Um, you know, this person, maybe we need to shift them. They need to be on this team because um, the folks that are going to be on their left and their right are going to be the ones that help prop them up. And, you know, also um, just knowing where, where I can fit in as a leader and knowing my own strengths, I can come in and I can say, you know what, I'm strong in this. I see you need some support. Let's make this happen. I mean, Doc, like I said, what uh, you got? It was key. key. I mean, both, both of y'all was kind of with that. The piece that I hit on um, with the managing teams piece was really talking about um, the meeting process because we all know um, our people are the ones that have the meeting after the meeting. So what can I do as a leader to make sure that meeting after that meet after the meeting is as close to what I talked about as possible? And people just say, like, you know, it couldn't have been an email. So there was a couple of things that I hit upon that I talked about was first, you, you know, have an agenda for whatever meeting you're gonna have, have an agenda. With that agenda, though, not only have your topics, but have it time sensitive. So, hey, we're going to talk about this for 20 minutes. Or we're going to talk about this for 15 minutes or 10 minutes that people can predict and know exactly what they, you know, how long they're going to be spending on something. Also, when it comes to decision making, you definitely want to have that time piece on there, because if you give people 20 minutes, they're going to make a decision in 20 minutes. But if you don't put the time on it, they're going to talk and debate and negotiate up until the end. Um, the other piece that with that that I talked about was uh, making sure you have minutes and then making sure you have outcomes. There needs to be outcomes out of meetings. You know, if you don't have a designated outcomes that you want, I said it could have been an email. But also with those outcomes, I talked about making sure your audience knows or your teachers, or your staff knows come to that meeting what the outcomes are going to be. So they know what mindset they're going to be in. What I mean by that is, you know, I'll tell you, you know, are we going to have a blue skies kind of meeting? That means we're just coming to throw ideas out there. We want to get as many ideas on the floor as possible. We don't care how much it costs. We don't care how long it's going to take. We just want to hear as many ideas as possible. And then or, uh, next meeting might be a logistics meeting. So the logistically, how do we make this happen? And we're not going to talk about any more ideas. We're going to look at the ideas we have. We're going to look at each one logistically, which one is the most feasible. And then after that, we talk about budget. So the next meeting is going to be on about budget. You know, we have the logistics laid out. Here's how much it's going to cost. So really making sure that your meeting has an outcome base to it and then making sure meetings are consistent. You know, the time. So you're going to have like for us, we had my teachers already know every Monday is PLCs. We're having PLC meetings on Monday. You know, that was last year. This year with the whole virtual learning thing and the way we kind of set up this schedule. Wednesdays is going to be POC day. They like, they just know coming in. They know that, you know, they know Thursday is going to be days about discipline data with assistant principals. They know uh, Tuesday is going to be PD. So every day every, you know, of the week, they know exactly what to expect. Um, and I think you just get more productivity out of people that. And then the last kind of things I'm going to go in detail that I talked about is providing some kind of autonomy to your teams as they meet without you. So they kind of give them what I call defined autonomy. So here's the parameters. As long as you operate inside these parameters, I don't care how you do it to make things get done. Um, uh, also, delegation, you know, don't be afraid. You can't do it all as the leader. Um, I have a bomb leadership team that, um, I, you know, was able to kind of put together last year. It's six teachers that, you know, I really lean on and we kind of come together. We've been doing a book study. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, but, we, you know, they, they really um, you know, have held it down. Um, I lost one of them. She's uh, moved on to become an instructional coach. Um, shout out to Ms. Dakis. Uh, but we got somebody that took her place that's just as strong. So, you know, that building leadership team and, you know, delegating some of that responsibility and the accountability, having a way to hold people accountable is very important. So even when you have those outcomes, you have that thing that you want things to get done, make sure people are assigned to those outcomes and there's some kind of way to check in before the next meeting to make sure they got it done. So, um, and then the last thing we talked about at the, uh, at the conference, the last topic we got into student and staff wellness. Uh, so I'm going to throw it to you, Bossy, you know, talk about your part of the student staff wellness piece. Yeah. So the biggest thing for me is modeling. Um, I know that that wellness piece is something that I have to have in my routine in order to be an effective leader. So, um, you know, a lot of my posts on social media are about me running. I, I got into running about four years ago now, uh, running long distances. And so, you know, I post my, my runs and my times and what time I get up and all those types of things. And, you know, the, your, your folks are watching. Your folks are watching. Um, you know, my eating habits aren't the best, but that but I understand that physical component. That's what gets me going in the morning. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, when we went into uh, school, the school closure back in March, I had a parent reach out to me and was like, you know, because I used to do morning announcements uh, during the week. I would alternate with one of my assistant principals and um, uh, my student government. 
and you know, just just be just hearing your voice, hearing the leader's voice is really important. I got that from uh, Principal Cafele uh, out there in Jersey. Like, you know, you the head coach. You know, when you go out before the game, the the team wants to hear from the head coach. They don't want to hear from the assistant coach. They want to hear from the players. They want to know. Uh, they want to hear you again. Going back to that whole visibility component uh, and trust. Uh, so I started posting uh, little videos for morning announcements. Uh, when we were on uh, on lockdown at the end of last school year, and uh, I was able to re- really connect with the families, and you know, I I was after my morning run or my morning walk or doing yoga or kicking, cooking with the family, all those types of things. I think that went a long way to just model, hey, you know what, this isn't a a fun time that we're going through right now, but you can make it happen, and you can um, do different things to focus on yourself, focus on your wellness, taking that quiet time and, and just modeling for your people. Cause, cause, cause they want that inspiration. And then, uh, so I, I'm gonna, if you don't mind, I'm gonna jump in Dave and I'll let you kind of wrap this section for us. Uh, so, uh, I want to jump to real quick and, uh, Kenny, Kenny Khan, I think it is, I hope that pronounced that right. But you talked about how does this look virtually or remotely? And one of the things I have done all summer, um, has really looked at how do we do these things that building relationships, uh, staff and student wellness, making sure people are connected, climate, culture, all those things still happen in the virtual platform because we knew a majority of schools are going to be coming back virtual. I knew for a fact my school was going to have some kind of virtual component to it. So that's kind of been my, my focus all summer long, the conferences I've attended, things like that, and which kind of builds into when I talked about staff and student wellness at um, the conference, that's really all I talked about. It's like, how do we make this happen virtually? So a couple of things that I would you know tell people is first, utilize technology. Uh, what I mean by that is like every Friday, I will put out a video to staff, um, to staff, to the students, to the families, basically talking about what the next week is going to look like, you know, when our grading, what the grading policy was going to be, all those logistical things. But then we also, along with that, we did um, culture and climate, what I call climate culture, virtually uh, building things. So we did a virtual fire drill, um, which it was crazy that I was talking about this at the conference. Now, I kid you not, like 50 people emailed me after the conference, like, hey, can you send me that virtual fire drill stuff? And really all we did was we created a flyer and we said on this Thursday, we want everybody, you know, all of our uh, school community to go outside and take pictures of doing something outside, you know, around, you know, 10 minutes outside, get fresh air. And this was during the time we were, everybody was on lockdown. So to get out into your yard and we had kids out under the trees reading, we had people in the uh, driveways doing science experiment. We had one kid who, um, Family lives next door to a firefighter. They brought the whole fire engine out and they did a whole fire drill at their house. Uh, so just being able to still connect. And then what they did was they took those pictures and videos and they uploaded them to our private Facebook page. And then those students who had the most likes, we created gift bags for them and took them out to them um, that following week. We did a virtual spirit week. Uh, we had the seventh grade team here. They did a Zooming to Success Award. So pretty much every week, students who um, had so much Zoom instruction time but also completed offline work as well. They were put into a raffle. We raffled off like $10 gift cards every week. Um, and we put them up on Twitter. We had a you know a plaque that we would give them. So really just making sure people are feeling connected to the building, even when they're far away from the building. Uh, social media. I mean, our Twitter account has you know, taken off since COVID has shut down. Our school, private, we have a private parent Facebook page that we have about 400 parents on there that we communicate daily with. And with that page, I told parents, hey, you're going to hear a lot of stuff. You're going to hear stuff from the rumor mill. You're going to hear stuff from the people next door. But if you want to hear it directly, like Ball said, from the coach, the head coach, it's going to be on this Facebook page. I'm going to come to you every day with kind of an update of what's going on. And then you can, you know, that's your way to act, uh, interact with me and go back and forth as well. So those are, I think, utilizing leaders in this time is how to really utilize technology and social media to continue to make staff and students feel connected. And then uh, if we get time, we can kind of t- circle back to coming up this year, some stuff that we already started to put in play. Like we have already started working on our, our virtual back to school night and what that looks like. So really trying to continue to do some of those same activities, but taking it to a virtual platform. So, Yeah. So with the staff and student wellness, uh, I think I said it there, like self-care saves lives. So we got to make sure we're creating those spaces in our schools, whether it's actual physical space or just the, the space where people feel comfortable to talk about what's going on. Cause I mean, this time is heavy. And so tomorrow, you know, at our school with one of my uh, parents, we're hosting an event called Pause at Your Peak, where we're bringing families together, man, to give them an opportunity to kind of build build camaraderie, uh, discuss and talk with uh, each other to make sure that, you know, they, they're they right, man. Because you look at parents and, and even teachers, man, since March 13th, give or take 16th, when everything shut down, school shut down and things went remotely, parents been trying to juggle and teachers have been trying to juggle remote learning in school, making sure the household stays upright, 
trying to navigate in this new social climate where we can and can't go places and where we can and cannot go. And now this idea of reopening where plans are changes, where schools are saying they're going to start in person, then switching it back and forth. And so we just got to make sure when we're taking care of ourselves. And I think people got to be okay with being selfish and meaning like taking that me time, man, to make sure you're right. Cause otherwise you're going to be, you're going to be no good for anybody else. Right. It's the whole analogy with on the plane, right? You put the oxygen mask on yourself before you help somebody else. So if you walk around here, half sleep, uh, on one hour of sleep and stressed out, how are you going to help somebody else? And so that even goes for us, right, as leaders and, I, and the people out there that lead people or people that are counting on you, whether it's your spouse or your kids or, you know, your, your teachers, man, we got to make sure that we write. So yeah. I, I think it's just good to have those spaces. Uh, I just wanted to add, you know, a couple of things. Going back to, to Kenny's question about, um, you know, people want to see us. They want to hear from us. They want to know that we're still around and, uh what we have to communicate is really important. So put yourself out there on the social media. Um, I think that's huge. Um, and, and I just had a meeting with, with my um, uh, department chairs and I asked them as, as our little warm up, you know, what'd you do to, to unplug and like crickets. And so like, that's, you know, I mean, that that's super concerning to me. Yeah. That's super concerning. I mean, cause they're, they're passionate. They, they love what they do. Mm-hmm. And so that, that gives them life. But at the same time, this 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 is a marathon. This is not a sprint. <laughs> right. <laughs> especially especially turning into a new environment where it's yeah, you yeah. know you know grades and all all those things that come along with the new um the, the start of the school year. So on that. Uh, so Miss Toya asked a question and, I, and it, it kind of parlays us into our next piece. And I know we're going to take quite a bit of time talking about that remix piece. And I think there was a lot of great information that went out. Uh, at the cons that I wanted to hit upon, but uh, I'm going to tell you people right now, if you don't follow the AOS podcast, Facebook or Twitter page, go follow now. You need to share this right now because we're about to get into some topics now. We're about to really get into the down and dirty now. Uh, so go ahead and share this now. Tag somebody because we're we about to, to get into some real deal right now. So, um, but Miss Toya, we, uh, Auntie Toya, we're going to definitely talk about the decision to reopen schools and what that was like we, we, in the next piece because our next piece is talking about unpopular unapologetic decision making and i'm gonna need my producer to put up this next picture for me because we're gonna give him a chance to kind of speak his piece after i tee this up for him and throw this alley hoop but uh back on july 20th my main man david mcguire the amazing principal at tinley elementary in indianapolis indiana uh put out this tweet of his billboard he did in the school that i thought was hella dope i ain't gonna even lie hella dope uh, but you can see the billboard right there. There's the picture of it. Say their names. And uh, if you look below the picture, though, you can see that it had 527 likes, 104 retweets, 118 comments. It went kind of viral. It got a lot of play on Black Educators Rock on Facebook as well as Black Teachers Rock. But I'm going to uh, throw it to you, Dave, and just talk about the, the amazingness that happened. But then also, you know, kind of how, how you are apologetic about this. So go ahead. Get away. Yeah, so I was sitting with my art teacher and, you know, we decorating bulletin boards. You know, school about to start, right? So let's decorate some bulletin boards. And she's like, what you want to do? And I'm like, man, let's let, let, let's turn the heat up this year. I said, you know, let's let's apply that pressure. Right. That's that that's that good year. Right. Because we, we're trying to be we're trying to be diamonds. So I was like, let's let's apply some pressure. So I, was like, I got an idea. She's like, all right, what you guys said, man. So I, I, I kind of crafted out for her. And she's like, all right, I got you. She's like, come back down here in about an hour or so. So I was like, all right. Went ahead, led PD, went down there. She said, you ready? I was like, yeah. So we walked down there and I was like, whoo. So I'm thinking like, cool, I'm going to post this. It's going to be nice. I put it on Class Dojo, right? So I'm like, let me make sure the family see it. They were good with it. They liked it. I said, all right, let's put it out there for the public. It was cool at first, you know. Good job. I like what you're doing. Man, about 730, bruh. I don't know if that's when everybody woke up, meaning like the 45 people. If they woke up and they came for your boy's head, head, listen, they came for my head. It was like, like Charles said the best. It was like the Twilight Zone. I was in the Twilight Zone reading it, right? Like it was crazy. And, you know, just here's what I, I think it, it made people uncomfortable. And it should have, right? It should make you uncomfortable. And I'm not going to apologize for it because we, these, are the, these are the conversations that we, we're going to have in our school. Right. These are the conversations that we're going to have with our kids, because otherwise they're going to grow up. Right. And live in this false reality or, or this or have this false sense of what this, this society in this world is. 
And that's no good. And, and that's an example of, of, of us miseducating them. So we put it up there and applied the pressure. And I had some haters, but man, shout out to the village, man. The village, village started coming through. And the village started coming through. And they died down. And I got a couple DMs from some folks, uh, both good and bad. Uh, some folks showing love for the board, uh, saying they was going to do the same thing. And I'm like, I'm encouraging it. Some other folks saying I'm part of the problem. And I was like, I'm part of the problem. Do I have a badge and I'm stepping on the necks of black people? Right. Do you see me barging in people's houses while they sleep shooting them? How am I part of the problem? Do you see me standing on a platform calling black athletes SOBs? No. So how am I part of the problem because of a, a, a poster that, again, I will state was approved by the people that matter to me, the teachers, the scholars and the families of my school. Everybody else didn't like it can kick rocks. And that's all I got to say about that. But we're going to be unapologetic. That's right. Good trouble. Rest in peace, John. It's, it's some good trouble. And it's Amen. necessary. Amen. That was some necessary trouble. And I was okay with that, right? Um, and But that's the type of plush pressure we applying. And we told folks in episode one about this realist ad movement, this is the pressure. So this is just the tip of the iceberg that you're going to see from a lot of education. And you see the shirt? Shirt simple. Unapologetically. Mm-hmm. Don't we pop black educators. Man, we popping shirts. Shout out to Ronnie B. Yeah. <laughs> Ronnie B with the shirt. Yeah. So man, I, I think I think fellas, and you guys can talk about experiences too. This is the time where we have to be unapologetic and sometimes unpopular. But who defines unpopular, right? Honestly, right? But that's where we're at. And that's what needs to happen. So with with that uh ball, I'm gonna go ahead and put it to you is yeah. um with that unapologetic leadership and decision making, what do you do? And it's kind of also, I'm trying, I want to try to tie in Ms. Toya, Auntie Toya's question into this is when the people above you are telling you to do things that you know fundamentally are against you or what you want need to do with your kids, how do you push back against that or make sure that your voice is being valued? Because I think as a black male leader, sometimes we can't be our authentic self because it comes across as aggressive. So how do you push mm-hmm. back when things are coming at you that you're like, nah, I, I just ain't feeling that? You know, that's a, that's, a, that's a great question because I feel really fortunate um, the folks above me have been really supportive. Um, as I mentioned before, um, I'm one of two uh, black male uh, administrators in my district. And uh, shout out to Kenny Khan, who is the other who uh, popped in a question earlier. So I appreciate you uh, chiming in, bro. Um, so I, I think that um, I've been supported to step outside of that traditional comfort zone because you know as as one of few or the only you got to tread lightly sometimes because you just never know but now is the time now is the time to step up and um i sent out several communications to my community uh when i was uh you know i was really reflecting uh after george floyd's murder uh about you know how i felt as a black man in a community with not a lot of black people and uh, so I share with my community just, you know, some of the feelings that I feel as a black man, as a black father, black husband. And uh, I just put it out there, you know, to the community. I shared it with my um, with my supervisors before I, I sent it to my community. I was like, this is how I'm feeling. This is all I don't want to put it out. And I mean, the response is really good, um, you know, because, you know, it's important. We We need to have these conversations. We need to make sure that people are aware because if we're not having these conversations, just like you said, uh, David, if we're not having these conversations, our kids continue to grow up in an environment with this false sense of security. And they're afraid, they're afraid to have these conversations. And so they go out into the world and they're doing things and, um, you know, they think it's okay because it's not something that that has been talked about. Just like I said before, you know, people realizing that racism still exists um, you know, all of a sudden because they never had conversations about it and it's in our faces now. I mean, and it's been in our, our faces for, for generations where we see how unarmed black people have been attacked by, uh, by police. And, um, you know, I mean, we can go into different policies that our government has set up, but, you know, personally, I haven't felt uh pressure. I, I felt support, uh, from, from my district leadership to step out there and have these conversations and to lead. So um, we might have, we might have a bulletin board uh, when we come back, when we come back, I got an amazing art teacher 
Here we go. Did. Shout out to the art teachers, man. Coming yes. through. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so, so, so my take on all this is, uh, you know, in, in my district, part of it, first of all, let me start out. Um, I was blessed. I think sometimes when we're going through the fire, we don't appreciate the smoke that we're getting. And, and I was blessed in my very second year teaching. Uh, I had a chance to teach in a district that I was recruited to come teach in uh, outside Omaha, Nebraska, a very affluent district uh, where I was one of two black teachers in the entire district. Um, you know, I mean, I'm talking very affluent where, you know, you, you got Fortune 500 CEO kids in my class and things like that. And I just knew going to that environment as a black man, I was going to be questioned just because not because I was a second year math teacher or anything like that. I was going to be questioned because I was a black teacher. So the one thing that I got out of that was that every time I did something in the classroom, I always backed it up with research. I always backed it up with best practice. And I think that has that's followed me and kind of got embedded in me as I continue to progress in my career to the point right now where I'm at. I am one of 15 administrators, building administrators in my district. And there are only four of us that are black, but I am the only black male. Uh, so when I speak in a room, um, I make sure I back it up with data. I make sure I back it up with research. I make sure I don't want you to feel like I'm just flying off the hinges when I'm speaking or I'm speaking just out of my feelings or my emotions. Like I'm speaking because I truly have researched this. And um, just the other day, you know, I had, you know, kind of a, a heated exchange with, with some people at central office because like, I just felt truly about the way that we were, you know, the way things curriculum was moving into this virtual mindset where you can't really believe that we're going to do the same amount of work um, the same amount of lessons, the same in-depth instruction virtually that we would do in person. Now, I'm not saying we don't cover the content. I'm just saying the amount and the way we cover it has to look differently. And too many conversations were happening like we were going to take this face-to-face -face interactions and just make them virtual. And that's not going to happen. We see in the spring that didn't work. So I think, you know, we have to truly, you know, black men continue to be able to speak up. But I think the more you can educate yourself as a leader, on what is best practices. And I, you know, I, and I'm, I'm going to be, you know, very transparent here. I was kind of petty, you know, because after the conversation, you know, I went and got an article and sent it out to all the district administrators. Like, re, like this article stands what I said. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm just going to be real with you. Like, <laughs> this ain't just me saying this, you know? So, but I think, you know, just continue to educate ourselves. And then, like I said, I've seen too many times uh, black men before me who in rooms that could have made waves like that, that didn't. They were just happy to be in the room. Like, that's like, you know, Dr. Howard says on Howard University, like, you know, if you're going to be in the room, at least say something. You know what I'm saying? Even if you don't get invited back that one time, make an impression. And that's all I'm trying to do. Every time I get a chance to step into a room, I'm trying to make an impression. Uh, two weeks ago, I had a chance to go meet with the, the commissioner of education for the state of Missouri. And I'm, I'm bringing all the press. That's why black men ain't going in education. That's why we can't retain black men. Like, I want to make sure I'm, I'm speaking and keeping the pressure on every time I step into a room, every time I get that a chance. So, uh, with that, so we can kind of kind of stay in that same area. So I want to kind of move over to the next thing um, and just really talk about, you know, that billboard. And so that social unrest that took place because of Breonna Taylor, because of George Floyd and things like that. Uh, as we get ready to go back into buildings, and I know, uh, Dave, you, your school is already up and running. You know, y'all got articles flying off the shelves in Indianapolis doing big things already. And the school year just started. But uh, like as the school year kicks off, though, and you know, I remember like, we wanted to talk about this earlier, but we didn't. So that's, I think this is a prime time to talk about it because some of the protests are dying now or the coverage of the protests isn't as big. You know, monuments have come down. Like, what's what's your thoughts? Let's just start with that. What's your thoughts on the whole monuments and like them removing monuments in the cities and things like that as far as the uh, protest goes? So I just, whichever one of y'all want to take that first. <clears throat> Ooh, so first of all, they, they need to come down. Let's just, I'm going to name that. Right, because y'all listen to Undisputed with Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless. Man, Shannon Sharp say, man, when you lose, they don't yeah. erect a statue for losing, man. And that's so real. How you get a statue for losing? Why we got these monuments of Confederate and they lost? You lost, right? But if you look at the history, right, it's up there because they're trying to preserve it, right? They're trying to preserve the, the way things used to be. But the fact is you lost. It's over with. It's got to come down. But to me, you can take the statue down, but if you're not tearing down the other statues that we can't see, right, that's 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 holding black people back and holding black people down, then really removing the statue does nothing. So I think it, it goes both ways. They definitely need to come down. 
we also got to remove some of these statues that people can't see, man. Like some of these voting uh, policies they got going to keep black people from, from voting. You know, like mm-hmm. so, some places they got 17 different poll sites within a 15, 10 mile radius. And you go in some black communities and you got to wait four and a half hours in a hot ass sun just to vote. Right. So like that's a to me, that that's a that's a statue that needs to come down. Right. Now, I can't see it. And no, it ain't, you know, made a, a rock or whatever or cement, but it's still a statue. So I think when I think about all this, man, like tear these statues down that we, that we can see. And we also got to start tearing out these statues that we can't see, because sometimes it's those ones you can't see, man, that are the silent killers. And that's what's been killing black folks for 400 years. <laughs> the ones no, we wanna, can't see. I want to yeah. piggyback off that. I got I got I got a, a great point that I want to hit upon. Uh because I feel like, you know, monuments and, you know, pay, street pavement ain't what's oppressing black people. So you paint Black Lives Matter on your street ain't doing nothing for me. You know what I'm saying? But I do want to give a big shout out to uh, this, this young lady named Raquel. Uh, once again, Naomi, she was running uh, Cousin Chris show, Citizen Ed, and uh, Raquel was one of the guests on there. And I want to highlight an article that she did. And I, I want to kind of really hit on some points and I'm just going to. I'm gonna drop the mic and pass it over the bar. I hit only points from this article, uh, but I'm gonna sh- sh- definitely want to put the article up. So, um, so the article is entitled <clears throat> "Your Street Painting Won't Protect Black Lives," and I just want to hit on a couple things out the article. But I'm gonna read some excerpts. I mean, so, so here we go. But black people will no longer settle for gestures and performance. There's a difference between performative activism and proactive anti-racism, and that difference is actually crystal clear. Pretty contempt that does nothing for liberate for liberation of black people is performative and unproductive. Instead, companies, politicians, and organizations must be more proactive and prioritize actions that improve the lives of black people everywhere in a systematic way, while not at an exhaust not an exhaustive list. Here are some actual steps. So she goes on and gives some actual steps on how to make this happen. She talks about being honest, being transparent. She talks about looking inward as themselves. Like, who are you? How are you perpetuating these things? How can you empower black people in these positions of power that you have? Um, and then she says, with uh, what her last point was when finishing, when you finish talking, do something, do everything. Focus on make, making systematic policy changes for black people. The bottom line is black people don't want nice ads and commercials without valuing actual employees. We do not want you to elevate and benefit from just a few of our most famous faces while trending so many by treating so many more of us inadequately. Black people need the protection of people to be prioritized into production of the product that you are exploiting the image of black athletes for. If you say black lives matter, then black workers should matter too. Like that, I mean, that's and that's just a snippet from the article. So I, I definitely I'm gonna drop the uh, link to the article in the comments. I highly, highly recommend you go read the article. And uh, I mean, she, she summed it up for me. Ball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's powerful. That That is really powerful. And in uh, McGuire, I think that you hit on it uh, big time. It's those those statues that we can't see are the ones that uh, really need to come down. Like, you know, personally, you know, a statue is a statue. I'll drive by it. I don't even really pay attention to those types of things. Um, but I think it can be a distraction from what really needs to happen. Um, we really need to address the policies and that that exist and that have existed. Um, you know, again, just conversation I've been having all summer about systemic racism. You know, you want to talk about all these these terrible communities that that um, you know black and brown people live in. Can we talk about why those you know those those neighborhoods those cities are like that you know can we talk about the the housing policies can we talk about redlining you know can we co- go back to um to world war ii and um you know all, all those uh all those great policies we talk about um the uh you know va benefits for veterans returning back from from, from war you know can you could you buy a house? Could you get the education that you needed to uh, to set your family up for success? And I think those are the things that we need to attack. You know, we talked about voting rights. Uh, people people don't believe that uh, th- there are people that are trying to prevent black people from voting. But, you know, they, they don't realize that, um, you know, voter ID is a good thing. Uh, we, we need to keep that up. We need to make sure that, you know, we're seeing people's uh, birth certificates and don't let me get in the tax returns. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, I mean the, bo- the bottom line is 
we got to address the system. And I and I understand the point about the statues because they they they're a symbol of the system. You know, we can take the we can take those down, but we got to get back to the system work. And if you remember, like back when we did the show with Uncle May, and in our first episode, I asked the question, like, when the protesting is done, when they when they start rebuilding all these buildings, that like, what what we gonna do then? What's gonna happen then? You know, that's, that was the thing that I was trying to get back to, like, what is the platform after the protest? You know, and I listened. It was kind of interesting and kind of just you know on point that this week uh, on the daily podcast, as you know, goes out every day. They did a podcast called "Stay Black and Die." And then basically it was a young lady, Sharonda Bozier, who's the deputy director of education leaders of colors. Um, they did a whole thing on her. And she was one of the people that really started the whole Black Lives Matter movement and kind of, you know, what they did with that. But one of the things that she said was that one of the areas of the Black Lives Movement after Ferguson is was that they try to distance themselves from government. And they didn't want to be involved in government. But, but you got to get into government in order to change things. Like my uh, daughter's godmom told me way back when I was thinking about going to education, it's easier to change a system from in the system than outside the system. Mm -hmm. So we need more black progressive people that are getting elected to Congress that's going into the Senate and things like that. Like you can't be afraid to do things like that. And it was uh, yesterday on a recess podcast. Dave talked about running for the school board. Like we can't effectively change, uh, make change if we sit on the outside, always looking in. And I want to just give a quick shout out. And it's going to be the last pick I'm going to share, hopefully. But I want to give a quick shout out to this uh, young lady right here, Corey Bush um, out of St. Louis. Uh, Corey Bush basically, you know, is from Ferguson, single mom. Uh, and she's basically going to Congress. She's uh, unseated. Representative Clay, which is crazy, who's a black man whose family has had that seat in St. Louis for 50 years, for 50 years. And like, wasn't doing nothing with it. So it, it's good to see, like, you know, that those people that was a part of Black Lives Matter movement starting to see, like, we got to get into the system to change it. We can't just keep pushing against the system and we're not going to try to get in and change it from the other side. It's good to be in the street protesting, doing all those things. But we need some people protesting when they writing bills and writing policies as well. Yeah. And, and I think it goes back to our, our last topic about uh, being upset about a billboard. I mean, that's, you know, black men, um, you know, black black men being being in leadership positions and not just sitting back and just not just being in the room. We got to be those voices. And, you know, if there's just one of us, let's 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 bring in more. Let's see how we can get more in the room so that we can uh, impact those policies in our schools because we're 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 part we're part of the government system as well. Indeed. Oh, and I, I want to say something real quick. Uh, Renee Brown, black, educated, and petty. I'm definitely putting that on the shirt. I'm gonna need that. I'm gonna need that. I'm gonna give you right. credit for it. I'm gonna need that. <laughs> black, educated, and petty. I'm gonna need that. I just want to throw that in there. <laughs> so, okay, so let's, let's let's bring it full circle because we are three black men that run three schools. So when your kids walking back into the building, like how do you address this with them? Because they, I mean, kids will come with questions about all the protesting that happened, you know, all the civil unrest. They come back with some of the comments that you know, uh, Unc's boy forty five said over the summer, things like that. Like, what are your plans to address those things as the school year kicks off? Yeah, um, we we got to prepare our teachers to to have those conversations right now. I think one of the things that um, we've been doing, um, we're going back. Uh, to school next week and we put in a bunch of um, professional development last week and this week and then we have uh, some scheduled for the beginning of the week and we're, we're we're starting those conversations because um you know this past year uh, I, I started to bring up uh race and, and and addressing it as a staff and one of the biggest piece of feedback that i got was you know we're not ready was, um you know over 90 percent of my teachers are white and you know they're they're not ready to have those conversations. So it's, a, it's incumbent upon us to build that into our professional development. And it's not just a one-time thing. We have to be consistent, and it has to be continuous uh, as we prepare our teachers to have these conversations and address it. Um, I did a, a, a PD session with uh, our new equity coordinator in in my district, and uh, we we talked about microaggressions, and we we did three different scenarios that are all very likely that we might hear over um you know over a google meet or a, a zoom call um you know with a with 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 a with a, uh, with a slur regarding um the covid virus um black lives matter and um I forget what the, what the last one was but uh, all very legitimate things that we might see um hear hear or see from our students 
Um, so I, I think that that's really important uh, that that we're preparing our staffs to have those conversations because we 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 can't be afraid. We can't be afraid if no matter what our staff looks like. Mm-hmm. This is so important that uh, we have to to make this just a part of who we are. Yeah, I think um, well, you hit it on the head. Like everybody's got to feel, everybody's got to have the conversation, whether you feel uncomfortable or not, right? And I'm gonna be honest. I don't know about y'all. It's some black people that feel uncomfortable about the conversation too, right? It's some black people that I don't know if they, didn't, they don't look in the mirror in the morning, forget that they black, but they feel uncomfortable about having these conversations. But I know one of the things that I told my teachers is we talked about it for sure. I said, but but something I've been saying since I listened to uh, Jasmine Lane on uh, Chris's show, man, the, the most anti-racist thing that we could do is teach black kids how to read. Like that's just, that's been my thing for, I mean, it's the most anti, it's, because look, when kids in the third grade, they need to be reading to learn, right? And then up until third grade, they're learning to read. But after third grade, they're reading to learn. And the most anti-racist thing you could do is teach a black kid how to read because you got these, White teachers and black teachers, I'm not just going to talk about the white teachers, that did all these book book clubs, right, with all these anti-racist books. How about a book club on this? Reading Reconsidered, right? How about a book club on this? Great habits, great readers. Like, where's your book club on that? Because at the end of the day, I'm not hiring you to be an anti-racist teacher. I'm hiring you to teach somebody how to read, to make sure that they're not building jails, putting our black kids, black boys specifically, name on these jail cells and jail beds. That's what we need to do. That's how we have the conversation. So we have the conversation about race, but I need you to go in there and teach these kids how to read so they can walk into this world and understand how they can function and function the right way. We'll bring in experts to do the anti-racist. I don't need you to be the anti-racist expert. I need you to be the expert on reading and multiple ways to solve this math problem. So that's kind of where I am. Like, And I, these books are great. Most of them been out since 2016. It's 2020. People just now reading, but that's another conversation for another day. Yeah. But when when we do have that conversation, bro, like you said in PD, everybody's got to have it. You're not taking no PTO. You're not taking no sick time. Bring your tail in here and have this conversation. I don't care if you're uncomfortable because was it Martin Luther King said? Life begins when you step outside your comfort zone. So today we're gonna step outside your comfort zone, and I'm gonna show you how. Police officers are killing unarmed black people for no reason. But can, can I can I just push back? Can we do both? And can we do both? So, let me, let me jump in there. Both? Let me jump in there because that's where I was about to go. Because I say, I mean, I, I think you know, boy, you hit on the whole. We need to be talking, having these conversations. You know, um, what I call these conversations with opportunities for growth. But I, I think that reading piece and you know, you being a good teacher and teaching what you need to teach. I think so that's kind of the, the approach. I've taken this summer. I'm gonna just talk about a couple of things that I've done. First, from the whole anti-racist thing, I've been um, privileged to be part of a Twitch chat every Saturday since like June, um, and it's hosted by Beth Huff, Shelly Burgess, um, Don Harris, and Tracy Crowder. Um, and the hashtag for if you want to go Saturday um, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, the hashtag is a lead lap L E A D. Uh, LAP or Crit Crew EDU is the other hashtag they use, and it's really big. I mean, a lot of times when you get on a Twitter chat, it's just people kind of saying, you know, spouting off kind of here's what I thought. Like, it's really been digging in. Like, I mean, they have people posting lessons and really going in and, and breaking down and dissecting lessons and talking about the hidden biases that are built into lessons from certain content standpoints. Mm-hmm. You know, they talked about as a principal or as a superintendent, here's what you could be doing to really kind of help guide the conversation in your school and to support your teacher. So it really dug in deep. It wasn't like surface level. I mean, we really dug in and did, uh, like I said, dissected PDs that we've done in the past. And, you know, talked about like, okay, just because you don't wear white fragility this summer don't mean you need to go back and hold a workshop in the fall. Like you, you ain't really did nothing. So that's been one of the things I've done. Also my BLT, which I talk, you know, I talk about my BLT all the time. We've been doing, um, why are all the black kids together in the cafeteria? And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm blessed at my school. 45% of my staff is my certified teaching staff is black, which is rare. So, uh, but I got some white teachers on my BLT that's going harder than some of the black teachers in my building, you know? So, but, and I, and I got one teacher, you know, um, specifically, you know, Miss T. Watson, who said like, I, I'm not afraid to have these conversations. I've been having these conversations. I'm glad we're doing this work now because now I got other people that's gonna back me when we have this conversation. And in the, in the last uh, book study meeting we had, the teachers said that they appreciate this because now they feel like they have the knowledge and vocabulary to have those conversations. 
That's why the PD is important, because I think if you don't equip people with tools to make the change. They're never going to make the change. They're going to constantly continue to do what they've done. So I think that's why it's important to have those PDs. And there's a no opt out policy in that process. Like you said, you know, McGuire, Dave, as well. You can't opt out of this. You need to have this. So now what's going to happen is now that we've done this uh, book study, we're coming almost to the end of it. You know, and it's six of them. Now they're going to go out and reduplicate it with the rest of the staff, because I feel like. I can sit in front of my staff and say this, but when somebody that teaches next door to them says it, it carries a little bit more weight. It amplifies the message a little bit more. But then also from the other side, that reading piece is so important. I met with my ELA department back at the beginning of July, and I said, you know what our uh, goal is for ELA this year? 95% of our students are going to be tier one or tier two by the end of the year. And they were sitting there like this. But then when I said, okay, but then we, we broke down the data. We, I said, look, right now we sit at about 62%. So we're only talking, it's like, let's look at how many mm -hmm. kids we're actually talking. And then we, the whole month of July, we met once a week and we crafted out a plan with actual strategies on how we're going to do that. I was like, Reader's Workshop is what they do in the elementary school that teaches kids how to read, not reading for learning, but how to read. We're going to start doing Reader's Workshop in the middle school because I got some kids in my seventh grade class that still reads on a third grade level who can use Reader's Workshop to improve their reading. We're going to talk about how do we break down words. We're going to talk about Greek and Latin roots. We're going to have a school-wide independent reading program where every adult in the building is going to be reading the kids are reading. Like, we're going to make reading our priority. It's going to be, that's our 911. So I feel like you have to do both if you're truly going to move kids in the right direction. And like you talked about on your show yesterday, Dave, like, I think it's important for us to stop looking for remedies and find a cure. Like, I don't need a prescription to, to handle my symptoms. I need a cure to fix this education problem for black kids. That's what I'm trying to get. So if you're always trying to look, trying to do one thing at a time, it's never going to work. You need to be approaching this from different angles because we black kids have been oppressed in education for too many ways in too many ways for too long. So if you're trying to pick one solution, you're never mm -hmm. going to get on top of it. So you got to be trying to approach it from different angles in order to make a difference. Yep. Now I'm let me say this on the piece about uh, the training for for anti-racism. This what I, this what I want. I'm gonna speak to the the legislators that sit in different city and states house education committees what we need to what y'all need to do is just like you make folks well I, i'm gonna say this in indiana you got to take suicide prevention training to get your teacher's license right you got to watch a video and get to the end and take this little quiz and get this little card how about you make these teachers watch a video on anti-racism now i don't know if they'll really watch it but that to me would be that that's a policy put that in place right Everybody, black, white, purple, orange, and green. Just like I got to do suicide pre pre prevention and CPR, I also got need to do anti-racism. It could be a three-hour video. I watch it and take it quick. That's a start. I'm not saying, again, that's a start. And, and that's how you start to have these conversations. That's how it becomes embedded. Because suicide, you're more likely to see a kid, you're more likely to see a black kid be in a room of a white teacher who pushes off some form of racism on them, then you ought to see a kid that commits suicide. So how about train teachers and equip educators with the things that they need that they see more like? I'm not saying get rid of the suicide prevention because that is a problem in some areas for youth. But you're also going to see a lot of black kids who get miseducated by racist white people that are in the schools. So I think that's the start. I think there needs to be conversation about that. Because then not only do we then also come back and do these trainings in the summer and throughout the year, because that's another thing. It needs to be happening throughout the year. Don't just do your little training in, in July and be like, I'm done. Right. Do that training in July. Turn around, do it in October, do it in March and close out the year with the same thing. That's how you embed things. But for me, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a space. Um, like you said, the reading is just big for me. Like it, it, it's just big being in the elementary school. Because when, when I send my kids to like your building's middle school and, and, and high schools, they got to be able to read, period. Reading educates and drives success. R-E-A-D-S. Copyright, steal that if you want to, but that's how I feel. But but yeah, man, I, I think you, you, we do have to do both, right? I'm not dismissing yeah. the conversation, but I think we also got to teach kids how to read. That, I said, and I'm not going to discount that reading speech. And that's the reason why I went to that my ELA department with that message and with that push is because everything i've read over the last year as a principal around turnaround schools around achievement scores around math it all goes back to kids reading on grade level like you ain't gonna make no kind of change in your building till you got kids reading on grade level so like you know and and, I, and, and the thing 
And I know when we get ready to roll this out to my staff, you're going to get, and, I, and I've been a teacher. I've been an assistant principal. I've been a teacher, and I've heard people say math teachers or science teachers or the, the computer teacher or the art teacher. I'm, I'm a literacy teacher. Like, I, I don't know how to do. No, we, we are all literacy teachers. Like, I'm right. not asking you to get up here and tell people right. how to conjugate a bird. I'm telling you. <laughs> Like I'm telling you to ha help a kid know how to break down a word or to decode a word or to use context clues. Like you can do that as an adult, so you can do that to help a kid do that. So I'm not asking you to be a certified ELA teacher, but I am asking you to push and motivate kids to read. To just simply ask them, hey, what you reading lately? Talk to me about this book you read. Like Plus it don't take much in front to do of them. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> indeed. That's right. Learn to read by third grade. That's right. Reading to learn. Mm -hmm. Reading to learn. When you enter this hallway, you're reading to learn. So, <clears throat> so bro, so we kind of we running up on the uh, the, the, well, we actually at the one hour mark. So I'm gonna just go ahead and you know, final thoughts. You know, get into uh, schools re reopen the social injustice, whatever it is. So if you wanna like Dave ended the show yesterday, get on a soapbox about something, but we're gonna just you know run run around and do the do the final thoughts. I, I'll, I'll kick off final thoughts, man. And I'm going to go to back to Miss Toya's question. Yo, this school reopening, <laughs> this shit's stressful, man. It's hard. Because, look, just when – and, and, Doc, I appreciate the shout-out, man. We had an amazing article that featured about our school, and we're doing some good, some, some great things. And, and I said this, and it, they didn't quote this, and I would have been cool if they said it. All that's good, man, until you put kids in that system. We got a great system, and we're practicing on air. Any of y'all play football, right? You run scout team on air, right? So we're going to run these routes on air. Soon as you put a defense out there, everybody forget the route they're supposed to run, right? And so I keep saying, man, this is good. We got systems. How are we going to do things? But all that's going to change it, 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 when we put kids in that system, man, because kids are unpredictable. And so that's probably the one thing, well, one of the things that keeps me up at night. And then the second thing, uh, Doc, you saw my post. And I don't know if you've seen it, man. Trying to figure out how to make sure that virtual learning, man, is just as equitable uh, of a rigorous education, man, as in person. Like, for real, man, it's hard. And I got one of my better teachers who's now a virtual learning teacher. And she has a group of 35 kids across K-6. And she can do it because she's taught third grade and fourth grade. And she has some some early, uh, some reading foundational training. Man, but it's, it's, it's going to be hard, man, because there's nothing like that in person learning, at least from people that's traditionally brick and mortar. So I just want to say, man, this school reopening is hard. Uh, Auntie Toy, I appreciate it, man. I, I'm praying for all school leaders, superintendents, principals, district leaders, uh, boards that have to make these decisions because these are tough times, man. I have a, I have a deeper appreciation also for superintendents. So shout out to Unc, man, who's sitting in that seat uh, making making these responsibilities. So that's my, my that's my final thought for tonight. I'm a I'm a dovetail off of you, uh, David. I think that um, these are really challenging times, and you know I've been losing sleep over the last week or so, just in anticipation, like, am I doing all that I can and all those types of things. But I think one of the most important things is, you know, for, for parents, for us as school leaders, for our staff is just, you know, giving grace, giving grace to one another and just understanding, you know what, this is not going to be perfect. There is no way we're going to be able to uh, simulate uh, the in-class experience to the level that we are used to our kids having. It's, you know, as as much as we want to do that, it's it's going to be so hard, and so we just have to embrace. I mean, and I, and you talk about the equity piece. I'm just thinking, you know, so many kids have so many different things. I mean, I think about just my house. Yeah. I have four kids. Them are in school. One is not school age yet. So, my wife is at home working. My mom. We are blessed to have my mom there supervising, and I got to be at school. And so I'm just trying to figure out, oh, my goodness, how are my kids going to be sitting in front of a screen for six hours with their little brother running around doing what he does? And, 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 and you know, and, and mom trying to manage all that. And I'm just like, that's just my situation. And I've got a good set. My kids have devices and, and all those types of things. So we've got what we need. But we got kids that don't, you know, they, they're not going to have the structure that I have. And so, you know, we got to have an understanding of that as educational leaders. Yes, we want to maintain a high standard, but we, we, we don't we don't control the environment like we do in the school building. So we just got to give each other grace. So okay. thank you, brothers, for that opportunity. Doc. 
So uh, I, I'm, I'm going to start my final thought by just basically laying the foundation for a call to action. So uh, and I'm, I'm going to read something and then I'm, I really won't try to motivate people to do something. I think it was uh, Auntie Toya who basically said, and I think, you know, uh, Big Brother Charles said says this all the time. It's like, now that you know, what are you going to do about it? So it kind of just starts out like this. Ask yourself this question. If you were present when George Floyd pleaded for his life, what role would you have played in his death? What if I told you that we all have been complacent in the dimensions of vulnerable groups of people? News stations and social media platforms often remind us how prevalent the loss of black lives are in the country. What's not as frequently televised is what I call educational asphyxiation, a loss of life in educational institutions. This phenomenon occurs when students are held down by systems of policies and structures that perpetuate inequalities or when staff members struggle to breathe with the mask they're wearing as a means to survive or thrive in their role. Both of these are contributing factors to the academic disparities we all see in educational systems. Variations of I can't breathe are uttered by students and staff of color on school campuses across the country. For students, these phrases include I need help. I'm trying, or even I hate this school, to name a few. Nonverbal expression, including giving up entirely as a byproduct of learned hopelessness. For staff members who are also at risk of educational asphyxiation, signs are not as apparent. Often the weight of the mask caused in part by terrifying fear that being their authentic self, voice, vulnerabilities, and feelings will not be sufficient or accepted by the organization, resulting in impossible situation. And that's just part of this article that uh, my homeboy, Dr. Howard Field, read, uh, wrote called Education Affiliation. I posted the, the link in the comments. And I just want to wrap up by saying, like, uh, it, we, we everybody needs to do something. I, I think we are at a point right now in education, we have a chance for black and brown kids to make a major move. Like, it's a time for us to use the pressure from the stuff that's happened this summer, the COVID-19, to really do something. But at some point, we got to stop talking about it. And we got to be about it. Like, what are you doing as a parent to reach out to your principal to say, look, I'm not going to sit back and let you not educate my kid. I'm not going to sit back and not let you, you know, not offer opportunities. Like, if I'm not available at this time, if I'm a leader, I'm putting pressure on my staff. If I'm a staff member, I'm putting pressure on my other staff members, black, white, blue, purple, whatever color they are. Like, we have to do something different and stop looking for the same results to get different. I mean, doing the same solutions, expecting different results. Like we have to do something different. And I think, Dave, you summed it up pretty nicely yesterday on your show <clears throat> when you said, like, we should be working to put ourselves out of business. If you are turning around school, you should still be turning people around 10 years later. It still should what be What you happening. doing? You know what I'm saying? If, if mm -hmm. I got a grant to get kids up to grade level to, on reading, I shouldn't be renewing that grant in five years. I should have kids up to grade level in five years. So we have to be doing something different. And people are just talking about it. It's time for you to give up your seat. You know, and that the one thing that I said to the commissioner of education in Missouri is like, I'm at the point, I'm tired of asking for a seat at the table. It's time for us as black people to build our own tables. Let's just build our mm -hmm. own tables and make it work. So with that, you have been tuned in to the third episode of the AOS podcast, Three for the Founders. Uh, <laughs> last time we did 1.8,000 views. So we really need y'all to share this. We're trying to do 4,000 views on this episode. And as you know, we're doing every other Friday now after, the, you know, we have got that much demand. So we will be back in two weeks to really kick off, you know, uh, a school year that is, is full of uncertainty. So we thank all y'all for tuning in. We truly, truly appreciate the time that y'all spent with us. Much love. We out. Peace.